Revelation 12.9 is where I'm planning on starting today, Revelation 12.9. The context here is of the church uh, fleeing to a place of safety at a certain point, uh, which we may cover a little later. But verse 9, I want to pick out uh, a particular phrase in. It says, That great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, we know as the accuser of the brethren, he goes before God's throne on a regular basis to accuse us. Uh, He's negative. He's against us. He hates us. He would do violence to us. But he deceives the whole world. Now, I know you're very familiar with that phrase. You know that it is there, that it occurs. But uh, let's address here at the beginning today the who, what, why, where, when, and how of that statement. Because the deception that has been there from the Garden of Eden on is getting greater and greater. And we know that it will get so great that even the very elect would be deceived if that were possible. So the deception that has been here all along is going to get worse and worse and worse. And the very elect can even be in danger. Daniel 11 says some of those of understanding will fall. So there is a very, very great danger here in what is about to happen on this earth and how much Satan can affect mankind and has in the past and will in the near future. So let's look at the bones of this situation and address who first. Who does he deceive? Well, we've already just read he deceives the whole world. But let's take it in degrees. Most notably, he has deceived Judah. Let's see that in uh, John 8. John 8. Well, I'll get there. I promise. Here, let's begin in verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. He makes a difference there already between their father and his father. He'll make that more imperative here in a moment. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Emmanuel said to them, If you were Abraham's children you would do the works of Abraham. So even though they might have been related by blood, and not just the Jews, but all Israelites in that case, why weren't they doing and living the way Abraham lived? Which, obviously, with him making that statement, they were not. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So they slurred his physical status because he was known as the bastard from Nazareth. So you don't even have a father, but we have our father, God. 
Emmanuel answered them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? In other words, they were not tuned to God the Father, whose words he was speaking. They were not tuned to his word. So they wouldn't listen to him, wouldn't believe him. I'm going to turn this fan up before I melt into a pile of grease. Okay, why do you not... uh, Verse 44, that's where I was headed in the first place. You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Were the Jews deceived? Christ said they were of their father, the devil. He did not recognize them as being of God at that point. They were ungodly. They had morphed into worshipers of Satan, the devil, even as Christ told the Gentile woman at one point, you are of your father, the devil. They didn't know the truth anymore. So, most notably, those who had the most, who had the advantage, as Romans 3 says, the Jews themselves were deceived. Christ had many other names for them, sons of snakes, whitened walls, uh, unwashed sepulchers, dirty on the inside of the cup and not on, and trying to look sparkly on the outside, but filthy on the inside. And he even disfellowshipped them. He said, I'll have nothing more to do with you until you accept those whom I'm sending, which were the New Testament, was the New Testament ministry, the apostles to start it, and those who would take their doctrine and teach it after that. So, <clears throat> the whole leadership of the Jews was deceived. Judaism, then, is a false religion. It is ungodly. It is not of God. It is of Satan, the devil. I don't know whether we understand that or not. But Christ, I think, makes it very, very clear. In days of yore and worldwide, Herbert Armstrong even gave great credence to the Jews and went to to that Jerusalem over there many times and talked up the Jews a great deal. Partly, I think, because he felt he could trace his lineage back uh, as a physical Jew, and that very well may be true. On the other hand, the Jewish religion is as ungodly as any other religion. If If it's a synagogue of Satan, a church of Satan, then it is of Satan, and literally, whether they know it or not, they worship Satan instead of God. Now, to the ears of anyone who is of the religion of Judaism, I have just blasphemed. But that's okay. All I'm doing is quoting Christ. Is that okay? (laughs) I think so. 
So he has the Jews deceived. And along that, with that, all of Christianity. Do we fully realize that the Christianity we see around us today has its origins in absolute paganism? It is not Christianity in terms of following Christ or the Father. I refer you to Acts 8. There's where Simon Magus saw the apostles baptizing and, or, and even the deacons baptized there at that point. They didn't lay hands on, though. Uh, they had been commissioned that it was okay to do the putting into the water, but they did not have the authority to lay hands on for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then when Simon, who had been baptized, saw that by the laying on of hands they received the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He immediately said, I want to buy that. Sell me some spirit. The Catholic Church began with the basis of money. I'll give you money for that spirit. And it's been that way ever since. <laughs> Quite a little research has been done showing that that Simon Magus was very, very likely, almost decidedly, the originator of the Catholic Church, which was in opposition to the Church of God that Christ started through the Apostles. He did not have God's Spirit. He was not converted. He was dunked, but he didn't receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And literally in the Greek, as it is translated in some translation, Peter said, go to hell with your money. King James softened it a little bit, but that's basically what the Greek says. So, the Catholic Church, by the Apostle Peter and its originator, have been told that they're going into the grave. Or perhaps he meant Gehenna fire there, uh, unless they repent. And we know that the beast and the false prophet, who may, may very well be a pope, will be thrown into the lake of fire as per Revelation 19 that we read last week. Now, where did modern Christianity come from? From Catholicism. It was dubbed the universal religion or a religion for the whole world to follow. But Martin Luther broke off, started the Lutheran Church, and he kept nearly all the doctrines of the Catholic Church. He changed some of the liturgy and a uh, few of the, uh, all the goofy things they go through, uh, the, the sacraments, well, not the sacraments, but the, uh, oh, the, the word won't come to me. I'm too, I'm getting old. But the, the, the didos they go through, the physical stuff, he changed a lot of that. Changed a little bit of doctrine, but not much. <clears throat> they still worship the false Christ. Uh, they believe the law of God is done away with, and you cannot be a Christian or a follower of the Father in Christ if you say the commandments are done away with. John makes that so very clear in his gospel, and then reiterates it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That without the commandments, you are not a Christian. And basically all of Christianity says the commandments are done away with. Well, is that a godly religion? Or is that a satanic religion? 
Who is the main one who says you don't have to follow what God says? Think back to Adam and Eve right away. Is that, did God say that? Oh, now, he couldn't have said that. He didn't mean that. You don't have to do what he said. And it's been that way ever since. And it is that way in churchianity today. So we have Judaism as a false satanic religion. And we have Christianity, so-called, even though it has the name, that is also a false satanic religion that has the name but denies the power thereof. I know we've been over this before, but I want us to bear in a little bit, focus on what Satan really has done on this earth. Uh, I, I, let's go to uh, uh, Matthew 24 and hit one more verse on this. Matthew 24. And verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. We read last week where the false prophet will come with great signs and wonders and miracles. Satan does have power, understand. And even his demons are transformed into angels of light. So what is about to happen in this greater deception that is on the verge of occurring is not only will there be false doctrine, false practice, but now there will also be lying signs and wonders, and they will be so very, very powerful that the very elect could be deceived, if it were possible. Are they going to be real? Are they going to appear to be genuine? Are they going to be astounding? They'll have to be. Now, we too are looking for signs and wonders from God within the church. But they're also going to occur in Satan's realm and with great power and magnificence that is going to deceive the whole world even further than already it is. We need to be prepared ahead of time for when that occurs and not be taken in by it because some of those of understanding will fall. What Daniel 11 says, don't let it be you, don't let it be me. The truth will set you free. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. And the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16 is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and one other thing that doesn't come to mind. The Word of God is where we find the answers. So who? Jews? Christians? Are deceived by Christ's own mouth and Peter's own mouth. And then everyone else. <laughs> All the other obviously false religions on top of it. All right, there's the who. Now what? What will Satan deceive people on? Well, God, first of all. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? Is that not where he started? 
Oh, God told you that. So his first, rea- his first action was to minimize God, or to try to get God out of their mind, out of their thoughts, so that they would no longer desire to do what God said. Now that went back even further than the Garden of Eden. That went back to a third of the angels, where he began to say, I'm as good as God, don't listen to God anymore, listen to me. And the very angels of God who saw the Father, and He who had become the Son, who were there at the very throne of God and saw His power and heat and light and magnificence, were deceived by Satan the devil into thinking He was God instead of the Father. Now that is power. How would you deceive the very angels who are at the throne of God? You and I have not seen God <clears throat> physically. I mean, we've not beheld Him. We wouldn't be here. We would be dead had we done so. We accept God based on the creation and by the logic of His Scriptures <clears throat> and the promises He puts there. We've not seen it. A few saw Christ when he was here on the earth, and a few have seen him in vision. But those holy, righteous angels were deceived about who God was. <clears throat> so that is his very first deception that he would make. If you want to know what he will deceive us on, it's who is God. Secondarily, it will be on who is Christ. Is the Christ that the world worships the real Christ of the Bible, or a false Christ that believes in the commandments being done away with, among other things? He's got whole of Christianity or churchianity deceived on that one already, and it's going to get worse when miracles and signs appear. He will also deceive on religion per se, that is, on doctrine and teaching. The commandments is the start of that. He will also deceive not only on doctrine, but on history and prophecy. He has already deceived the world into believing that the Jerusalem and the Zion are in the Middle East, that the promised land is in the Middle East. That is a huge deception that Satan has foisted off on the world. So he's messed up the entirety of history in terms of man's understanding of God and what God has done and where he did it. And therefore history is an unmanageable mess at this point to try to figure out because we've begun to understand some things there that the Bible says that others don't believe. Archaeologists recognize that the Bible story doesn't fit in the Middle East. Therefore, they don't look for where it does fit. They just look to discredit the Bible, say the Bible's a fairy story because the things that it says we don't find here. So archaeology itself proves that either the Bible is wrong or it has to be somewhere else. 
I believe it's somewhere else. I don't think the Bible is wrong for a moment. But those are the only two options you have there. The Bible's wrong, or it is somewhere else. <clears throat> They're messed up on prophecy. <clears throat> we addressed in the last two weeks that much of churchianity at this point uh, has looked at the things that are prognosticated to happen next month, uh, September 15th through 23rd and 4th for the most part, and much of Christianity now is beginning to think the rapture will occur then, that Christ will return. Uh, the Jews are expecting uh, Christ. So the Islamic world is expecting the Mahdi and so on. And much of the world then is looking at this next month as a very, very significant event. Now, will it be? I'll tell you, it is very, very possible that there will be some very major changes in the next 30 days. But will Christ return? I think we answered that last week. No, because there are too many things that have to occur yet that the Bible says will happen in the end time, and there is no way, based on those scriptures, that he can come back this year or next, and for several more, for that matter. Because there have to be three and a half years of tribulation, there has to be nearly a year and a half of rebuilding Jerusalem, there has to be a building of the temple of God, whether you're speaking physical or spiritual, either one. It hasn't really begun in earnest yet because the gathering hasn't occurred yet. So there are many, many incidents and things in the Bible, events, that have to occur that have not yet started. But does that mean then that Satan can't start some things on his own of his new world, his reigning over all the nations of the earth in a more direct way than he has in the past. So prophecy's messed up too. We'll address that a little more toward the end of today. All right, who, what, now let's address why. Why does Satan deceive the world? A, to frustrate salvation, to stop God's plan, and to destroy mankind. His goal, his purpose, is that no flesh be saved alive. And Christ has even said that if he didn't intervene and cut something short, there would be no flesh saved alive. So his goal is to kill all people. To stop God's plan. Now, he'd also like to stop the resurrection. But I don't see any way he can even impinge upon that in any way. Therefore, he has set out to do what he feels he can accomplish, and that is kill us all. It says in 1 Peter 5.8 that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So there's a scripture to put with that statement. He's trying to devour everyone, everything he can to get rid of man. That was, his, that was his goal, of course, in the Garden of Eden. If he could get Adam and Eve to sin and nip the whole plan in the bud right there, what quicker way 
to solve the problem than there. But he did not manage, and it goes on. But he has come close a few times, and he's going to come very close here at the end. Now, what about it? There in Revelation 12, which, where we've already been, there will be a time, and this is where they've got prophecy messed up too. I'll go back and read that a little bit. It's familiar, We're very familiar with it. Remember Matthew 24, where it says that when you see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then those which are in Jerusalem are to flee to the mountains of Judea. They are to get away from Jerusalem because an abomination will have been set in the temple and Satan's wrath is going to be turned on the church. So, here it speaks of Christ and the woman, the church. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that she should feed there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Satan making a last attempt to take over God's throne completely. And then he is cast down and he's not going to be allowed there anymore, it says in verse 8. And verse 10, end of it, talks about how the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is wearisome to God. He goes before God's throne, he's allowed there yet, and accuses you and me day and night. He never lets up. He is constantly accusing you and me, the church in particular. That is his focus. That is, in his mind, his job. That's what he's there to do, is be an accuser. That's why God hates accusation and false witness. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. So how do we overcome this deceiver and this accuser? By the blood of the Lamb, the forgiveness of the sins that he accuses us of. Some of his accusation is true. Some of his accusation is false. But we have the blood of the Lamb to cover our sins, that they might be forgiven, and death be removed from us. Because the wages of sin is death, and if the penalty of sin is removed through forgiveness, we don't die for our sins. Commandments are still there. We break them, we die. Through the blood of Christ, we're forgiven and live. And by the word of their testimony... What is the word of our testimony? The word of God is our testimony. This book is what we testify and will testify to the world that represents God. So, the blood of Christ, the word of God, and the willingness to give our lives for the kingdom of God. That's the third thing that saves us from the face of the devil. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. At that point, three and a half years until Christ returns. That hasn't started yet. 
When the dragon saw he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So that is the time that he is going to, atturn, to turn his attention specifically to destroying the church. And since the faithful remnant, who will at that time be in Jerusalem, flee into the mountains and are protected there for 1260 days, three and a half years, what does he do? She was given the wings of an eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to a place where she's nourished for three and a half years. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood or an army after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the army. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the army or the flood which he cast out. And the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Emmanuel. So... The remnant, the faithful, are going to be taken to safety, and then he will turn on the rest. Let's see that a little bit again in uh, Daniel 11. This is at the time, verse 31, Daniel 11:31. And arms, or an army, shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate. Now Christ referred to this there in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 as the time to flee. And we just read about it in chapter 12, where Satan is cast down, and then is when he comes to persecute the church in particular. <clears throat> and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. And if they fall, they'll be helped with a little help. But many will cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. So, Satan is going to persecute the remnant of her seed and that will start the day that the church goes into a place of safety. Or that is the faithful remnant of the church. About 90% are going to be left behind, and they are the ones of whom this is speaking, that Satan will go after. And many of them will fall, many will be killed. That is the persecution that comes on the people of God. That has not started yet, okay? We know all the different splinters of the church of God, or at least a lot of them. <laughs> Nobody knows them all, I don't think, at this point. But they haven't been taking people out and killing them yet. This hasn't been fulfilled yet. And it won't be until the time that Satan is cast down and goes specifically after the church. Now, if there's something that he is going to do to persecute Christianity, which is beginning to happen, but remember, Christianity is not God's church. 
it's churchianity or another one of Satan's religions. But they take the name of Christ, and therefore they are beginning to be persecuted, and their heads lopped off here and there by various groups. So, and Christianity is getting to be persecuted in this country as well, more and more if you read the news. Take God out of everything and put other gods in their place. So this is what Satan will try to do. Now there's a period of time in there then, when the temple is being built, when Jerusalem is being built, before the abomination is set up. Now I believe this country will be in captivity during that period of time. Because it does say there in Daniel that the country will be divided and under four different princes. And then a little horn will rise up among them who will come and set up the abomination of desolation in the latter years of their reign. So there's a period of years from the time this country goes into captivity while God's work is being done on a, in a quiet way under His protection until the abomination is set up. Then Satan will be cast down and come to persecute the church in particular, and when that faithful remnant is, goes to Zion, he will turn and go after the other 90%. That's what this is talking about. So there are going to be some very dramatic things happen, and the northern army is going to be on its way, we saw the scriptures in the last week or two showing that, when God's remnant flees from the beast power. And this nation will be taken into captivity, but he will put a wall of fire around those who are doing his work, building the temple and building Jerusalem, until that is defiled by the abomination of that little horn at the latter end of the division of this nation into four pieces. That division has to come fairly soon. And it could start in the next 30 to 90 days. It really could, with a lot of events that are coming together. Well, Satan is there to destroy and to frustrate the plan of salvation. When is Satan deceiving the world? Well, from Adam and Eve until today, and including tomorrow, until Christ returns and he's bound. But he will continue, and it will get worse, as we've already seen. Where? Well, the whole world. It said that. He'll deceive the whole world except those who have the testimony of Christ and His blood and His Word. True Christians. Everyone else over the whole earth. I think that you might pinpoint some places where it'll be worse. It's about as bad as it can get in Jerusalem of the Middle East where you have all those different religions vying for power and absolute and utter confusion. That already exists there. God is not the author of confusion, but Satan is. Probably Rome would be another place of his great deception with the seed of, or the seat of Christianity and the beginnings of so-called Christianity there. I would say New York and 
Washington, D.C., are also some critical areas of his attention because of the deception that is now being perpetrated and the destruction of this country from those places. Now, how is he going to deceive? Primarily through religion. Revelation 13, verse 14, I think we read last week or the week before. He does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles that he has the power to do in the sight of the beast. So one of the main areas of end-time deception is going to come through signs and wonders and miracles. You can't trust signs, wonders, and miracles if they are not based on God and truth. If you have the truth of God and people who are following God's Word and you see signs and wonders, then you can feel fairly confident that that comes from God. But when you see people doing signs and wonders who do not believe in the law of God, who do not believe in most of the Bible, then that has to be lying signs and wonders. When you have a Jew who claims to know the prophecies of the end time and extrapolates that basically from one little verse in Isaiah, you can know that is a false prophet because he not only was a Judah of the religion of Judea or Judaism, but now is converted to modern-day Christianity or known as a Messianic Jew. And that is a terrible blend of Judaism and Christianity. That is not a prophet of God. Now, can he be getting some things right based on when Satan is going to do what Satan's going to do? Yeah? There's a distinct possibility of that. So, the next month or two may indeed be very, very powerful. There may be some real changes come. But will they fulfill the prophecies of the Bible that we've just read and all of the time that is required for the events to occur that the Bible so clearly lays out? No. So it is a false prophecy, but it may be a true prophecy of Satan's plan and Satan's timetable and Satan's goals and purposes. Now that he might have right. But there ain't no rapture coming in September of this year. Revelation 18.23 is another way that he is going to deceive. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in you, speaking of Babylon or modern America, Ephraim. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in you. Life, as we know it, is going to change. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, the powerful, the elite, they call themselves, for by your sorceries were all nations deceived. Now the word sorcery there in the Greek is pharmakeia, uh, medication, pharmacy, healing magic, and other drugs that might also affect you. So where is the leader of all kinds of drugs, both prescription and illegal, right here. 
We're, we're the main ones that the world makes their money off of drugs on. So miracles, signs and wonders, and modern medical pharmaceutical science are included in one of the great deceptions of the world. Christ is our healer, not pharmakeion. It's a huge deception. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 20. The beast was taken with him, the false prophet that worked miracles before him, with, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So, this is the ultimate end of the beast and the false prophet, but it opens, if you go back to Revelation 13, another way whereby he deceives. Let's see that here talks about how the beast will do miracles above this, we already read, and they'll receive a mark in their right hand or their foreheads, uh, probably chip implants, as we know there's a push on now to get that done, and they're already doing it with dogs and some of our children and various ones and getting it implemented. And, they, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So they will use economic means to deceive, and Satan will. Because if you can't buy or sell and have food without taking the mark of the beast, then you will die of starvation. So they're going to use the economy and money as a way to get people to worship the beast. Here is your only salvation. Here is your only way to eat. Here is your only way to survive in this world is do our bidding, do what we say, and then we will feed you. That's coming. It is an economic deception and a very powerful one at that. Signs and wonders, false healing, and eating. Powerful deceptions. Can you see how most people would buy into it? You go to our FEMA camp, you can eat. Oh, they got food there? Man, I'm hungry. I was about to kill my wife and eat her, but I guess I'll go there instead. They will eat each other. I don't like to go over those scriptures too often, but it's coming. Your only way to eat is going to have the mark of the beast. And if you take the mark of the beast, you will not be in the kingdom of God. What a powerful leverage that creates. So, there, there are other ways they'll deceive, but there are three big ones right from Scripture. Now, we had a bit of a controversy this year on when the Holy Days should be based on the fact that the, there was a new moon of six hours and some minutes prior to the spring equinox. 
And it being that close, the next sundown came after the equinox. So you had a new moon before, six hours later the equinox, and a few hours later a sundown. So this created some confusion in the sense that people got the order of the hands of a clock all mixed up in their minds and tried to move some things around. Now, as a result of that, and it was very close, not as close as it can get, really. Now, did I make a mistake? Do I misunderstand how the heavens work? Maybe. I don't think so, but maybe. Now, if the Shemitah or the seventh year rest and the Jubilee begin this September, as Jonathan Kahn has stated, and these powerful events heralding the demise of the United States as a nation begin to occur, does that mean we have the calendar wrong? Ah, gotcha. All these things wouldn't be happening if you had the calendar right. Not so fast. Maybe it was set up on purpose, even by God, that it would be so close that we could be easily deceived. Maybe we understand the proper sequence and should be following it. You see, Satan's timetable and God's timetable aren't necessarily the same. And the things that Satan plans to do could be based on a false jubilee. I think I showed you that this cannot be the jubilee year if Christ is indeed coming back after the seventh land Sabbath followed by the 50th year of jubilee. He can't be this year or next year because all these events in the scriptures simply have not yet occurred. So it can't be, if the jubilee is, indicates his return, it can't be this year or next. There's no way. But, can the punishments come on this nation before the real jubilee? A false jubilee? Yeah, because Satan wants to destroy this nation. And the destruction of the nation by the northern army has to occur in the people of God, the true remnant, have to escape just ahead of it, as we saw in Jeremiah 50 and Isaiah 48 and other scriptures a couple weeks ago. Or last week, I guess it was. That has to occur. So, the fall of this nation has to occur quite a few years before Christ returns. Nobody knows for sure when creation was. Now, we may yet be right in that there were six days, a day equaling a thousand years of mankind's rule and Satan's rule, followed by a thousand years of Christ's rule. The Jews think they know when creation was. Usher thinks he knows when it was, a scholar. A lot of people have put forth a lot of theories, and they've tried to count back through history and so on, But it is not an exact science, and I do believe that God obscured that so that we would not know the exact 6,000 years. He has shielded us from knowing time exactly. 
nobody knows. They'll say it like they know it, but they don't know it. And I've looked into some of them, and there's no way to prove their theories. So we could have a great deception here by Satan about the rapture, about the return of Christ, about a lot of things, and it could occur on his timetable, and it could occur based on the beliefs of a pagan, ungodly religion called Judaism, and when their idea of the creation occurred. See how that could happen? So big things could occur. It doesn't necessarily mean we're wrong. Now let me throw a couple things at you. They, they say some things will happen September 15th, but the big day is the ninth month, the 23rd day. 923. You see it in movies, a lot of movies that, that comes up. 23-9 or 9-23. A lot of countries put the month, the day of the month first. 23-9 or 9-23 we do here in America. But that date has been prognosticated as being a very, very important one. And I'm not going to go through all the list of all that that they say could happen on that day or the day after. Uh, you can read it on the internet anywhere. It's all over the place now. It's gone viral for that matter. There's a lot of it and a lot of expectancy. And that expectancy could come to pass. Notice a couple of scriptures. I'll go through this kind of quickly, but some things that might have some effect here. Go first of all to Amos 8. Uh, Amos is a book in the Minor Prophets, that deals first of all with the church, uh, spiritual Israel, and secondarily with our nation, and the fall of this nation and the punishment of God upon it. Notice in uh, Amos 8 and verse 1, Thus has the eternal God showed to me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Eternal to me, The end is come upon my people of Israel, and I will not again pass by them any more. Now what is God saying to Amos? What is he saying? Is he saying that this destruction is going to come summertime? That's the conclusion you would almost have to make, wouldn't you? What do you see? A basket of summer fruit. I will no longer delay the destruction of my people. 9.23 this year is also the equinox, the fall equinox. So summer goes up to 9.23. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, says the eternal God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, you that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. And it goes on and on about how it will be turned to mourning and so on. So, there may be a clue here in Amos 8 as to the timing that a basket of summer fruit 
would be there to be seen, and there will be no more delay. Now let's add that to Jeremiah 8. Jeremiah 8. I don't know what are the conclusion to put on Amos 8.1, do you? I mean, it's just, that's just the statement. No more delay. Jeremiah 8, and here, let's see, I want to verse, start with verse 19. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Eternal in Zion? Is not her king in her? Has this happened yet? Is he there? Is the question. Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? Now notice this. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? We are expecting miracles of healing so that we can finish the work of God. But here he says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, we're not saved. Now, put that with Amos 8. And... Amos 8 is set in the summertime, but it is also toward the end of summer probably because of the harvest of the fruit at the end of the summer. Here it puts it about the harvest being basically passed and we are not saved. But does that mean that the nation has not fallen? Will it begin to fall even as this summer comes to an end and we will not yet have been saved? out of it, that it will start coming and we're still going to be there to partake of a bit of it for a short while, as Isaiah 10 may seem to indicate, where they will try to enslave us for a very short while. That may very well be. And the healing has not yet occurred with the summer ending. Okay, it ends this year with the equinox on 9.23. Now, here's an interesting paradox to consider. We have looked at Haggai 2, where it talks about, or Haggai, where it talks about the gathering of God's people under the two witnesses, the remnant, the faithful remnant, who will come to build the temple. And then, toward the end of that book, it's only two chapters, well, let's go back there for a moment. Haggai 2. Now, I have wondered back and forth a little bit on this particular verse we're going to look at, where it talks about how they will come and work in the temple and build in it. And then it makes a statement down here about discerning between the clean and the unclean. And you get to verse 15 of chapter 2, and it says, And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of God, since those days were, and Zerubbabel will have laid the foundation of the temple, he will be out to lunch for some years, but it says your hands will finish it there in Zechariah 4. 
So he started it, and then there was a delay, like there was in Ezra's day, and then he will come and he will finish it. So the scripture is very clear on that. So he says, I pray, consider from this day and upward, before a stone was laid, consider back as this all started getting going. Since those days were, when one came for a heap of twenty measures, there was but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty uh, vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet you trust turn not to me, says the Eternal. So God has done that with the church. We've had spiritual famine, as the end of Amos 8 says, a famine of the word where they'd go and look for it and couldn't find it. A north, east, and south. It's in the southwest is where he started the church, and that's where he's going to finish this thing, in Zion and Jerusalem. So he says, I did all these things, but you didn't turn to me. With all your heart, as Jeremiah says, we have to do. Then he says, consider now from this day and upward, from the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Eternal's temple was laid, consider. Consider everything that's happened since the foundation of the temple was laid, which I think was in 92. And you've had famine and difficulty spiritually. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree has not brought forth? Has anything really happened? No. Then he says, from this day will I bless you. Now, I thought from time to time, maybe, that the gathering had to occur, the temple start to be built, and then this blessing he's talking of would come since it's later in the book. But no, I think what he's saying is, these things, the temple being built, the remnant gathering, all these things must happen, but I want you to think back, Has it happened yet? No, it hasn't happened yet. So toward the end of the book, he's saying he's going to begin to bless. Well, does that mean that there will be signs and wonders and the eyes of the church will then turn to the stone that is Christ there in Zechariah 3 when he does signs and wonders? Not the beast and false prophet, Christ himself in the church they will see and come to build the temple. Well, I would say that the time that he begins to bless us is when we see healings of God's people. When we see the remnant starting to gather, then we can consider ourselves blessed. Now, he says it will be in the ninth and twenty-fourth, ninth month, twenty-fourth day. Now, on God's calendar, if you start in the spring, as he tells us to do, that's usually in December. This year, with it being a month later, because of the new moon being almost a month after the spring equinox that we used, it comes to January 4th. Now, do I need to go over the history of the end-time church and how many events, good and bad, but primarily good, have occurred in January. Just a slew of them. By far and above, major events have happened in the church of God in the end time, worldwide and 
even the current groups, in January more than any other month, by far. Maybe as much as all the rest of the months combined. I don't know that for sure, but, but the, pri- the majority of them have occurred in January. This year, if we have the calendar right, 924 is January 4th. Now, if we have the calendar a month off, and God blesses us on the 9th and 24th, and that's in early December, I will very joyfully admit I was wrong about the calendar. Okay? Because that means the blessings had come a month earlier than I was anticipating. I don't see that as a problem. Now, here's a, here's a strange irony that just hit me this morning. The world is expecting major events just before, just after, and especially on the 23rd of September this year, which to them, based on the Gregorian calendar, is 923. But based on God's calendar, He says the blessings will come on 924, a day after their big day. Different calendars, but it's just an interesting coincidence to consider. There's a few months in between 923 of their calendar and 924 of God's calendar. But it's only a day apart in times of the time of the ninth month. don't know whether it means anything or not, but it just kind of hit me as I was looking at these scriptures this morning. 923 is building toward, according to what the government and others are putting out there, some very dramatic changes in our nation in the next 30 days. Now, we don't have long to wait and see if those prognostications are correct and if they're telling us indeed what they're about to do. But it could signal what they've been planning all along. Our last several presidents, especially, have been working toward well, with Johnson, a great society, socialism, and the Democratic Party has been pushing socialism and more and more people on government dole. The Republicans have been pushing more and more war. But what all of them have been doing, and I'm not partisan whatsoever, could care less. They're all the same. They're all the basest of men that God has put in charge of the nations and including this nation. So don't think I'm throwing stones at any group or any one individual because they're all tools of Satan and of the powerful men and women behind the scenes who are telling them what to do. They've been pushing fascism, which is a combination of government and business corporations, and through huge donations, corporations get what they want. So we have fascism. You'll even see it in rest areas. Cooperation between government and private industry. That's fascism. So we have a mixture of socialism, fascism, and communism being foisted upon us. And it's been done in specific by all the the last presidents, no matter what party they were of. The last one, made a campaign promise that he would fundamentally change America. He promised change. But fundamental change. 
was a word that was used. Now let's focus on that for just a moment. What is fundamental change? I looked up fundamental in the dictionary. It meant about what I thought it did. It means the basis of a structure that without that structure would not be what it is. Uh, Under fundamental law, it says basic law, not that which is changed by legislation, that is the Constitution. So when they talk about not just change, but fundamental change, they are talking about the very basic building blocks of this nation, of this republic, so-called democracy, and the liberties and freedoms that the Constitution guarantees. Those are being taken away from us by bits and pieces and have been for many, many years now. It goes all the way back to Roosevelt and even before. But more particularly and more specifically in the last several administrations of Republicans or Democrats, it doesn't matter which. But they are fundamentally changing us from a nation of freedom and liberty under the Constitution to one of fascism, corporatism, communism, and total slavery. That is the fundamental change that is occurring. And we may very well see that ramped up to sonic, subsonic, or supersonic speed is the word I'm looking for come next month. It very well could happen. And if it doesn't go to supersonic speed, I think we're going to see some vast changes that are headed that direction. We've already seen in Jeremiah that our leaders have given their hand to sell us out, to commit treason, and to destroy us. We know from God's Word that is going to happen. doesn't matter which leaders, doesn't matter which party. They've all been on, on, in on it for quite some time. But now it appears the elite behind the scenes are ready to make a major move. And it may start next month. So be aware of God's prophecies. Be aware that He is going to take His people out. He is going to gather. He's going to do His work. It will take some time, but in the meantime, this nation is going to be divided into four parts, as per Daniel. And some years will go by, and toward the latter end of their years, a little horn will come up and set the abomination of desolation in the temple, and that is when we flee to Zion. So, they're not going to accomplish the end of the age this year or next, by any means. But there could be some major changes based on Satan's timetable that don't have anything to do with God's timetable. So be aware. Read, see, watch what's going on. But don't forget the Scriptures. Because it is the testimony of Christ that is one of the three things mentioned in Revelation 12 that will save us from Satan the devil. So these words that I've been rehearsing should give you comfort, should give you confidence and help and faith 
But no matter what, God's timetable and His plan will work out. Satan is going to do his thing. He can't do it until God says it's okay to go forward with it. But it's not going to be based on everything that God is going to do, because Satan is the great deceiver and has deceived the whole world with the exception of a very few elect of God. They're the only ones who will understand. You understand. Do not let anyone deceive you that it will be anything different. But do expect that the Antichrist will come before the Christ. Do expect that Satan will start his plan early. He will set up his government before Christ ever returns. And then once the Great Tribulation starts, we have 42 months of the times of the Gentiles when they will have complete and total control except for those hiding in Zion and the two witnesses who will be in their faces. So could September be important? It could be in Satan's plan. It could be in getting his government off the ground. Now we'll see what moves he has in mind and see whether God has told him go ahead with it or not come the middle of September on. God is in control, not Satan. But his government, his millennium, his act does start before Christ comes. The Antichrist will have been here. The beast of the false prophet will have done miracles and wonders and established the mark of the beast. And America will have been destroyed as one of their very first acts because they know they have to get rid of Israel before they can reign on the earth. So we go soon. We go first. Be prepared. Be ready. And trust God that if you obey Him and trust Him and turn to Him, you will understand and not be deceived by He who deceives the whole world.